0: Stay informed and up to date. It's the Daily Maverick
1: Show, Tuesdays 1 to 2 p.m. on cliffcentral.com.
2: Good afternoon, you're tuned into the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. As usual, my name is Kingsley Kipuri and I'll be your host for the next hour. I just realized today it's the 10th of November, which means all the great plans we had for this year are pretty much not going to happen. So just, I think let it go. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that's just that's, my message to the country for today no, Nice to start the show on a positive that's note That's it, as you can tell, my more optimistic counterpart Greg 2016 is your year I think just let it go, man I think we just start strong with some resolutions And we just, you know, start with a bang
3: I, I like that, because that, that gives us almost two months Just to plan resolutions for 2016 So uh, That's what I'm saying
2: hmm. I right. see, we're on the same page We're also joined in studio by our social media guru Fatima Matiba, welcome to the show Hi King <laughs> now, today we'll be talking about, you know, as usual, looking at sort of the biggest headlines in the country. First, we'll be talking about uh, the Textbooks Matter campaign. So looking at a big case that's happening at the, at the Bloomfutain court in about two weeks. Um, you'll remember the Limpopo textbook scandal from a few years ago. And that's, that actually was not quite resolved as we thought. And was, we'll be talking to some of the attorneys representing community members down in Limpopo. Um, to, uh, I'm actually interested
3: so. in that one because it seems, You know, we worked so much on this case back in 2012, 2013, about all these crises, and everyone was holding that as a a sort of symbol of the failure of the Zuma government, in particular at Basic Education Minister Angie Mocheca, about how she completely sort of failed to, you know, take care of the education basics and how her and her department were acting so sort of tough on these issues. And to think that it's still going on is sort of one of those things that... I don't know if it's still going on. I think now... Well, we're going to find out, but to, if it is still going on and, and these, these issues, it's, it's shocking.
2: Absolutely. We'd also be talking about ANC KZN. We had a, some leadership changes down in ANC Stronghold, which is down in KZN. We also had some very interesting remarks from the president that people are a bit outraged about. And then lastly, we're at the, you know, tail end of the show. We'll be interviewing sort of author, I suppose activist, feminist, um, and editor of Vanguard magazine, Panasha Chigomadzi on her new book that's out, Sweet Medicine. But first, let's talk about the textbooks and what's going down in Limpopo. We'll be talking to attorney from section 27, Kate Peterson. Kate, can you hear us?
0: Yes, hi.
2: Okay, fantastic. Now, Kate, as you probably heard from Greg and I chatting just now, we're a bit confused because we, we remember the, 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 the uproar that happened, you know, a couple of years ago down with the textbooks in Limpopo. And I think we were under the false assumption that this matter was resolved. So what, what exactly is happening right now?
0: Well, um, the case began in 2012, mm. so you're right, that it has been going on for a very long time. Mm. Um, the background being that the new CAPS curriculum was developed and should have been ready to roll out in 2012, and none of the textbooks were ready for delivery in Limpopo province. So delivery of textbooks only started after we launched an urgent application. Section 27 launched an urgent application in April of that year. Um, on the back of that judgment, we've now had three separate court orders from Section 27, and then a fourth court order in 2014, when there were still at least 800,000 books that were outstanding by the department's own account. So in 2014, we won that case on behalf of Basic Education for All, and the department was ordered to make sure that every single learner in Limpopo had a textbook for every subject. And the failure to provide a textbook for every learner was said to be a violation of that learner's right to a basic education. Um, so we won that case. And following from that, the department should have made sure that every learner had access to a textbook for every subject. Mm. But they have then appealed that decision. So the appeal is not coming from our side. The appeal is coming from the department side. And they say that that's an impossible standard for them to meet.
2: Oh, that's interesting. So the, the state is saying that the, the standard of every single student having their own textbook is an impossible standard to meet.
0: Yes, which is, I mean, it is interesting for us because this is their own policy. So they should be making sure that they have sufficient budget to plan for this. But also, textbooks are kind of the low-hanging fruit Mm. of education in South Africa. I mean, this is a relatively easy thing for people to get right. So it is, I suppose, um, quite confusing for us that this is the one thing that they're saying that they can't possibly do.
2: I mean, I'm I'm confused. So should, should the state win? Um, and it be deemed that it's an impossible standard to meet. Then what happens? Does that mean we just don't bother with textbooks anymore? What's the alternative?
0: <laughs> I'll be very surprised if they do. Um, no, I, I, I don't think that they would win. If they do, then we'll certainly appeal it to the constitutional court. I'm mm-hmm. sure. Um, but they, I suppose, what that would mean is that the standard, which we have always been applying and the Constitutional Court has consistently applied in education mm. cases, would change. So um, at the moment, what the Constitution says about education is that it's an unqualified right. So it is not subject to the budget of the state, it's not subject to um, progressive realization like other socioeconomic rights are. Um and what the state is saying now, essentially, is that it should be subject to that because it has to be met within what budget they have available.
2: Huh, this is—I'm just—I'm just trying to think the in in the instance where we apply sort of the, the the interpretation of the state. How would we measure their sort of best efforts if they're pushing for we should hold them to the standard that they're making sort of the best possible effort to to meet the standard? How do we measure that kind of effort?
0: Well, for instance. Um, we, when we speak to our some 150-odd client schools mm. in Limpopo, are told by our client schools that they go to the circuits and they report what textbooks are outstanding. Mm. So they tell the circuit managers that there are, say, 100 textbooks that are outstanding for different subjects, and then that circuit should report that to the district and to the province, and then those books should be replenished or topped up. And what is happening, apparently, according to the circuits, is that they are giving this information and that information is not being delivered on. So, circuit managers have actually been telling schools that they must rather come to Section 27 and tell us when they have outstanding status. So, it, I mean, there are serious problems in communication between the different branches of or the different um, levels of government, rather. Um, but also what we're seeing, um, <coughs> excuse me, from the publisher's point mm. of view, is that the, the publishers are, in their opinion, significantly under-ordering. So we've, we're seeing this now in Limpopo for next year, for 2016, and we're also seeing it in the Eastern Cape for 2016, um, that there aren't being top, top-ups ordered as they should be. So the Eastern Cape is saying that all of the schools have all of the books that they need, so they don't really need to be ordering top-ups, which we are being told is, is not factually correct. Um, the schools in Limpopo are similarly it looks like we'll not be ordering the number of books that would be expected to be ordered for top-ups for next year.
2: So you're basically saying we're already anticipating a shortage next year already.
0: Well, in the Eastern Cape, certainly. Um, the last that we've heard, which is from a briefing by the National Department to the Portfolio Committee, after which we've spoken to publishers as well, is that books for Limpopo and for the Eastern Cape have not yet been ordered for next year. Um, we've also heard that there is a problem with the distribution agreement in the Eastern Cape in that the Eastern Cape Department of Education seems to believe that the publishers will somehow be able to sort this out and told them in the last few weeks. That they need to quickly come up with a distribution agreement for next year. Um, so I think that there's there's a failure to recognise how many books are needed, and there's also a bit of untruth from the part of the department because they're not um, they're not ordering the number of books from the publishers that are needed, and they're saying it's because they're not needed.
2: I mean, what do you think? That that just doesn't sound logical at all. So do you think it's a money thing? Maybe they can't afford to order all the books. Why would they just deliberately under order?
0: Well, the Eastern Cape is currently underspending of their budget, so it's very difficult to tell where their budget is going. Now, we know that there are serious problems with the division between personnel and non-personnel expenditure mm. um, universally, but in particular in the Eastern Cape and in Limpopo. So that does mean that there's a strain put on their budget, but that's also something that the department needs to figure out with the union. Um, and it's their duty to do so. So it's not enough to just say that they are, are bound to to pay 90% of their budget to personnel, and as a result of that, they can't improve infrastructure and they can't deliver textbooks. That's just not good enough. It's their duty to make sure that each child has a textbook and that each school is is not physically dangerous for learners to learn in.
2: Okay, it's, I mean I'm <laughs> painting quite a bleak picture. I mean I'm really I, I feel Sorry.
0: depressed. Oh, absolutely.
2: <laughs> this happens all the time, though, so it's quite it's becoming sort of commonplace <laughs> on the show. Yeah, um, me too. I'm curious about the precedent this could set. Where if we if the government defines something as a right, such as basic education, yes. and if we take the interpretation that they must meet that standard, do you think that could have sort of spill over in terms of precedent to other kinds of service provision that the government sort of declares as basic rights?
0: Well, we certainly hope that it would have spilled over, and it should have spilled over to the right to basic education. Remember, the right to basic education is different from other rights. But at the moment, the precedent is already that the right is unqualified and that it's immediately realizable. So this is, again, challenging that to an extent. And hopefully the precedent will reaffirm what we already know about the right to basic education. Because remember, the formulation wasn't just randomly come up with. This is Mm. something that was specifically designed in the Constitution to be immediately realizable because of how important the right to basic education is. Um, So we certainly hope that it would mean that there would be, I suppose, um, more power behind demanding immediate realization of different aspects of the right to basic education.
2: Okay. I hear you, Kate. Thank you so much for talking to us and we'll keep watching the story. Okay. That's a pleasure. Fantastic. If you're just tuning us, you're in the Daily Maverick show on Cliff Central. Uh, we're talking about the the Limpopo textbook scandal that broke out a few years ago, and how that's culminated into a court case that's happening now between Section 27 and the Basic Education for All group, who are who the government is appealing against as to whether the government has to provide a textbook for every single child. Um, you can tweet us on at DM at You can also give us a call on 0861 Next, we'll be talking to Nomata Ndebele, also from section 27, who's working quite closely with the community members who are coming together under the banner of basic education for all. And they are really the ones who are pushing for, um, for this case and really who the, the, the state is going against. So it sounds like the basic, the basic crux of the case here is about the interpretation. So if the government has a right to pro- if the government has said that basic education is a right and that they should provide a textbook for every child, what is the interpretation of that of that law? Greg, you wanted to jump in there?
3: No, no, I just think it's really interesting. Once once we sort of a lot of these cases are coming up in court and we yeah. have to sort of decide what with the sort of the law there's a law there and the interpretation it might be a small point but it's gonna have a huge influence on how the government um, delivers services in the future, as, as we we're saying.
2: Yes. I mean, on one hand, she was saying the one one hand is if you say you're going to do this and you don't meet the standard, that basically you can take legal action against the state. To say you were supposed to meet oh. the standard, you didn't. It's that simple. And the state is saying, no, we just need to prove that we've taken all reasonable measures. So even if they screw up. It's they're basically they're taking, we tried. Yeah. So it's, you know.
3: And that's a fair difference because, you know, what one one forces the state – to actually do it, the other one forces them to show that they've sort of tried their best. I guess.
2: I mean, for me, with that, it's. On one hand, I want to be sympathetic to a to a to a government that's that's trying to meet the standards that they've set and is trying to educate everybody. But I think when there's a mistrust between the citizens and the state on these issues around corruption and so on, when somebody says we just want to show you that we've tried our best. If you do not trust the implementers of the, of the policies, then I think it becomes difficult to hold them to any other standard except a textbook area child.
3: And I think sometimes as well, going to court and trying your best isn't, you can sort of show that's also subjective, right? You could show that maybe you sort of have, but you know, in reality they could have done more or, you know, you can, you can provide evidence to, you know, show that maybe you did, but in reality you could have done more.
2: Absolutely. Talking to somebody who's actually often on the ground talking to a lot of the community members involved with this. We'll be talking to attorney from section 27, Nomata Ndebele. Nomata, can you hear us? Hi,
1: I can hear
2: you. Okay, perfect. Now, Nomata, you work uh, closely with some of the community members involved with this, with this particular case. And, and I'm curious, what are they saying is the situation uh, regarding education and textbooks in Limpopo right now,
1: 2015? I um, honestly, the situation is very dire. I mean, you have Five children sharing one textbook two days before the exam is due, or you have one textbook who lives, one child rather, who lives in a different village and has to walk for an hour to get to someone else's house to borrow a textbook. And, you know, then they can only use it while they're there and they still have to come back home while it's dark. And, you know, it's really, really difficult. These children are frustrated and they're not happy, as they shouldn't be.
2: Gee, so it sounds like not much has changed since the outcry of the 2012, sort of 2013 uh, big scandal that broke out. It sounds like not much has changed despite the attention on that.
1: Not much has changed at all. I mean, you know, in the beginning, the order was very clear that the government had to provide textbooks for these learners. And if they had done that, we wouldn't be here today. And it's actually, it's really disappointing that in 2015, children have to, you know, resort to a court of law to get a textbook, something that should rightfully be theirs. And, you know, it's difficult, it's unfair, and we're going to lose an entire generation because now these kids are in matric. So even if they do get the textbooks, mm. well, they don't need them anymore, you know. But, again, the battle is for the other children who are coming up, and so hopefully they can change their lives.
2: I mean, I hear you, and you mentioned sort of the battle and the people pushing for this. I'm, I'm curious about this, this sort of coalition, Basic Education for All. Could you tell us who's involved with that and, and, what, and what are these people on the ground? What are they saying to you under this, this banner?
1: So this is a coalition that's based in Limpopo. It's made up of SGB members, parents, principals, and students in Limpopo. So basically, I mean, these are people who are living the experience every day. So they can say to you, I went to school today and I didn't have a textbook. Or mm. the SGB can say, you know, the department has been giving us the runaround and we've been trying to get these books for days and nothing's happening. So it's more just, you know, it's different when you hear it in the newspaper or you see it as a statistic, but it's like when these people are living this thing every single day, they know exactly what they're talking about.
2: Absolutely. And I'm curious how the 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 coalition actually came together. So is it just regular citizens on the ground who decided to, to, to sort of uh, mobilize around this cause? How do, how do we how do we get this group of people coming together to mobilize around this cause?
1: Definitely. You know, Befa, they all had a common goal. Everyone mm. was seeing that the schools in the area are not working. And you know that sometimes, you know, if you try and do something on your own, there's mm. not much you can do. But in there's strength in numbers and people came together and decided that they were going to all get together from the various districts and, you know, various villages in Limpopo get together and say we are representing everybody else who would not like ordinarily not be able to represent themselves and we're gonna do it as a unit to make sure that people know what's happening.
2: I mean that's incredible. I wish we could get people mobilizing around different causes around the country. I think that I would that's a, that would really be a great if we could replicate this kind of community activism, I think that would, you know, go a long way in different underserved communities around the country. What do you think about that?
1: Definitely, I agree with you, because, I mean, one of the things we need to note is that these coalitions come up because of constitutional literacy. Mm. There's people who are in the community, on the ground, and, you know, who are otherwise far removed from the Constitution, because until you have your rights, you know, not given to you, you're going to not do anything about it until someone says, these are your rights and this mm. is what you have to do to get about them. And if we could empower more people in the community, you know, to not wait for the government or not wait for... You know can be like section twenty seven but for them to get up on their own and say, "I belong in South Africa, I have my rights, and this is what I need to do to make sure that I get everything
2: that I deserve That sounds really powerful um, now I quickly back to education, sort of one of my last questions is just i'm curious about how this plays into the bigger education fight. so we know there's a lot of issues with 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 education in the country, rural education, and a lot of them have culminated in Limpopo. So how should we be successful with this case and the textbook issue? Um, how big a win is that given the other issues we have around sanitation and teachers not trained and teachers not pitching? How big a win is that in the grander scheme of the, the education battle?
1: Well, you know what? This case is going to change the face of education in South Africa because at the moment, if you look at the Constitution, you know, when we talk about education, there is no room for government to say we can only go this far or we can only do so much. There's, like, the ruling is straight. It says that children deserve the right to basic education, and that means that they have to enable all the kids with all the necessary tools. Mm. You know, it's not just textbooks. It's also infrastructure. It's also sanitation. So, I mean, it's ridiculous that we actually have to do this because surely people know what their responsibilities are. But if we win this case, and I really, really hope we will, it's going to change the game. I mean, there's going to be hundreds of children who will have proper access to sanitation, proper access to the books they need. And, you know, eventually they're going to make South Africa a better country. So it's not just for the kids, it's for everyone.
2: Incredible. No matter, thank you so much for breaking it down for us and also ending with a bit of inspiration. I'm, I'm feeling pretty <laughs> excited for the case in two weeks. I'm glad.
1: Follow us on Twitter. Thank Absolutely. you so much for having us. Absolutely. Thank you us. so
2: much. Perfect. Uh, that's Nomatan Debele, attorney at Section 27. Um, please, please follow their, their campaign called Textbooks Matter. You can follow it on Twitter and Facebook and, and they've really done a good job of framing why this case is so important and, and, and different ways that we, we can all get involved, even if it's just a simple posting your message and explaining why you think textbooks are important. If you're just tuning in, this is the Daily Mavic Show on Cliff Central. Remember, you can join the conversation on at DM and give us your, your two cents. Greg, I want to switch over to something that, that you've been paying attention to. Um, and that the ANC, and that's the ANC provincial, credential conference. We were talking a bit before the show and you were telling me why this is so important.
3: Well, I'm not going to tell you about it. We've actually got, um, Cyril Madlala on the line, who's a, who's a journalist based in KZN and wrote an article for the Daily Maverick on the conference this week. Um, Cyril, are you with us? Yes, I'm with you. Thanks, Cyril. So, so let's just jump straight into it. Um, obviously, we saw, we saw a new leadership elected, uh, in the, in the provincial ANC in KwaZulu-Natal this weekend. But, and we, everybody knows that KZN is a powerhouse in the party, and, and there's also been reports of factionalism, you know, sort of, uh, in, in certain regions and, in in the province. Can you tell us about what was happening in the ANC and KZN leading up to this conference? Uh,
4: it was a very tight contest. Um, -hmm. what has happened uh, with KZN over the years is that, um, it has produced what has been called slates which uh, have worked their way through the different levels of uh, ANC's electoral processes, your zones, your regions, and then the province. And ultimately, those slates have influenced what has happened nationally. You remember when uh, President Zuma was elected uh, in, 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 in 2009, there had been a lot of, of, of work done by the province. So it is regarded as, as a team maker mm-hmm. in terms of influencing other provinces in terms of who should be
3: elected. Mm-hmm. And tell us about, uh, you, you mentioned in your article some of the different work by the different candidates. It seems the newly elected um, KwaZulu-Natal chairperson for the ANC, uh, Sisle Zikalala, was doing a lot of work and he his supporters are doing a lot of work in the regions?
4: Yes, exactly. In fact, uh, uh, Zikalala has a very long history uh, mm-hmm. uh, of mobilising for the ANC. You will recall that he was also, he had a very important uh, position nationally as uh, Secretary of the ANC Youth League uh, during the days of Sigil and Baluda. Mm-hmm. So he has a lot of experience uh, in terms of mobilizing at grassroots uh, level. And he has been uh, Secretary in the province, uh, not just to, to the outgoing uh, chairperson, but he was also Secretary when Zerinkiza was Chairman here. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a sense, he has earned his stripes uh, after in fact, the only logical position he could attend to would be uh, the, the chairmanship of the province. So he comes here almost ready to, to assume parental responsibility. The only issue is that uh, he's still uh, fairly young, about 42, 43 years old. and um, But he has the support of the young people who have been educating throughout the country that uh, the older people, so-called, are taking long to make things happen and that younger people should take over. Mm-hmm. Well, the feeling in the province has been that uh, it is their turn now to to, to run the province and that the incumbent premier or the former chairperson was taking long to implement the different programs that they wanted to have
3: implemented. Mm-hmm. Now, in the in the contest for this le- leadership race between uh, Zikalala and Sen- Senzo Mchunu, who's who's the, obviously the, the premier in KZN, was this a... you mentioned slates. Now, was this sort of like a... a U- Contested, but the ANC unified, or or were, were there? Is this an example? Were there deep divisions between these two two camps?
4: No, there are very very big divisions. Uh, um, uh, unfortunately, the province has had a, a, a bitter history of, of these divisions. Mm-hmm. You remember way that uh, um, there were serious contestations between Dr Zolimki and and then chairperson uh, the Moses mm-hmm. and and it, it took a very long time to resolve those. Uh, but after that, uh, the province managed to, to, to resolve those differences and really did manage to put up a very strong face of, of, of unity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that has definitely come now, and uh, we're going to go back to the old days, the, the, the way I see it.
3: What influence do you think that will have on the party? Are we just going to have, at least at least in the province, are we just going to have these different camps constantly sort of battling each other. So as far as I understand, the Itikwini Conference, they, the, the, that which is the ANC's largest re- region, hasn't even been able to go ahead yet. Are we going to continue to see these constant sort of fights, the playing them in, out? Playing themselves in out? fact, uh,
4: Itikwini is not just uh, uh, KZN's biggest region. It is the biggest in the, in, in the country. Mm. And it has a major influence uh, in terms of what happened nationally because it sends the largest delegation largest number of delegates to, to even to the national conferences. Mm-hmm. Now, that has taken a long time to happen. In fact, we went to the provincial conference even before the regional conference of the cabinet had happened, because more than four times they have mm-hmm. not been able to meet because of the conversations. People have been disputing the, uh, the, 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 the results from the different branch meetings, mm-hmm. and those branch meetings were very important because they determined who represented, who were delegates, uh, to the, conference, to the uh, conference over the weekend. Now, since that has not been resolved, in fact, it was a two-way tussle between the supporters of uh, Zigalala and the supporters of uh, Mikuni. Now, I think the DICE is, uh, is, is, is in favor of Zigalala now that he has won at a provincial level. But that conference has yet to happen, but I suspect that uh, with the turn of events over the weekend, Zigalala's people will have a very strong uh, chance to, to actually take over. Now, if that happens, that would be a very strong voice, not just for the province, but also in terms of influencing what happened nationally in 2017. Hmm.
3: And I've seen different predictions, you know, some of the weekends or sort of the Sunday papers and things like that, there were a lot of what they reported about was, uh, you know, as often people do in sort of ANC politics, we often just take it larger and say, oh, what's, what's going to happen now with the next uh, ANC national leadership race? Some people are saying this, uh, this is a win for, uh, Lumini Zuma's potential run for the ANC leadership. Is that true or is this too early to tell how it's going to play out on the national level?
4: It's still early. What happens is that because KZN has the numbers, it can influence any other province. So they typically would say we would want, I'm just giving an example, if, if, mm-hmm. if the Nkosazan Lumini so we mm-hmm. story were to be true they'll say we definitely want for, for President Kosovo Damani Zuma, but we are prepared to, to, to bargain on the rest of them. So, in return for supporting us for the presidency, we can give you uh, Treasurer General or whatever other position. Mm-hmm. Now, that's that's their very strong bargaining chip. Now, if they decided that they wanted Kosovo Zuma to be president, that actually have a very a major bearing on what then happens nationally, because Everybody else would need to adapt their strategies around whatever KZN would, would prefer. So that's where the significance of Zilalala's majority uh, in the province comes in, because it was known that uh, the um, people were not really in favor of, of that scenario, uh, more inclined towards Deputy President uh, Ramakosa taking mm-hmm. over from Mr. After, Zuman
3: after the next election. Mm-hmm. And within the province, uh, Zikalala and the new leadership who are more favored by the youth, could this sort of herald some sort of either, uh, an arrest to the, like a, a halt to the fall in membership in, in ANC and KwaZulu Natal? And could it also lead to any sort of new sort of youth policies within the province, uh, some, some more pro-youth policies?
4: One thing I can tell you is that they are very energetic. They are really full of energy. Mm-hmm. And as I indicated earlier, Zikalala is, is a very good mobilizer. And and and, in fact, they, that's why they are suggesting that they would use whatever means to get the necessary numbers to to, to to succeed. And largely, you know, the success of KZN in terms of growing membership was 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 through uh, Zigalada's work. Mm-hmm. The, the feeling is that when when when, when Kunu was in charge, he wasn't as 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 as, as full of energy and and. Indirectly, it was under his leadership that mm-hmm. we've seen uh, this decline in, in membership
3: in KZN as well. Sorry, sir. So, 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 sorry, Sir we're, we're going to have to cut you off in a second, so we're, we're running out of time. But just one quick question. Where where does this leave uh, Premier Muno? Is he, is he going to be able to hang around? He's in a very difficult position at the moment.
4: Very, very difficult position. Uh, the fact that he's now not even been elected onto the, the provincial executive council, the um, uh, committee is going to be very difficult for him to just run the province when the majority of his own MCs in the current uh, cabinet, executive uh, council, are not even members of the TEC. And if his own chairperson is, is, is running the province, he'll be calling him, him in all the time to say, we want X, Y, to happen. Mm-hmm. I think he won't survive until uh, 2019.
3: Okay, thank you, Cyril. That's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for joining us. That's Cyril Madlala, journalist and writer
2: based in KwaZulu-Natal. Okay, perfect. Just, we're going to go into a very quick break and then switch over to our interview with Panashi Chigumati. See you right now. Stay informed
1: and up to date. It's the Daily Maverick Show, Tuesdays, 1 to 2 p.m. on Clipcentral.com.